Welcome to Any Given You. This show is about all things college football, and on it you will hear insights, analysis, discussion, predictions, and stories of any given topic from any given time, past, present, or future. We believe that the stats are great, but the stories are greater. And you should listen if you have a passion for the game and what makes it great. We're going to talk about touchdowns and touched lives. Come with us on a journey that extends beyond the field of play. We will talk wins, losses, and coachable moments learned on the football field and taken to the classroom, workforce, home, and even the battlefield. Division one to division none. Five-star recruits to walk-ons, it doesn't matter. If it's college football, it's worth the story. I'm your host, Michael Megan. U.S. Army Ranger and a former college football player, and more importantly, a lifelong fan of all things college football. Whether you are a casual fan, a fanatic, a coach, a player, or just a person who loves great stories, then huddle up and commit at any given you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Any Given You podcast. As always, I'm your host, Michael Megan, and we have another excellent show here for you today as we continue with our Power 5 win totals with the Big 12 Part 2. Today, we will be talking about the four teams in the Big 12 that reside within the state of Texas. That means we are talking Texas, TCU, Texas Tech, and Baylor. To start us off, we are going to start in Austin, where the Texas Longhorns are projected by the Caesars Sportsbook to win a total of eight and a half. And so what to think about this win total coming into the year as the Texas Longhorns last year disappointed again uh, for what seems like several consecutive years now, stretching back to the Tom Herman days where Texas does everything that they are supposed to do on paper as far as getting the talent to Austin, having one of the better facilities in the entire nation, a gigantic national fan base that ranks number third overall, but just cannot put it together on the field. Last year was no exception to that as Texas looked like they were going to get off to a pretty good start and then just did what they have been notorious for doing recently and imploded on themselves in some rather ugly competitions in which they just could not keep it together. The culture was just not there. So sitting here at eight and a half, let's talk about the offense. Let's talk about the defense. Let's get a feel for coming what this team's going to feel like coming into the 2022 season and also obviously talk this schedule. The whole point of having a head coach like Steve Sarkeesian is to crank up an offense to a dominant level. We saw the success that he had at Alabama coming back after his coaching hiatus and what he was able to do with that 2020 Alabama team. And off the merit of that, he landed the Texas job. The offense last year averaged 424 yards per game and 35 points. The problem was is it just wasn't enough to win games and it wasn't consistent enough either as we saw the offense in the second half of the season kind of stall out and fall apart had a tendency to do that especially in the biggest situations now coming into this year the offensive line should take a step forward texas is recruiting some absolute mammoth recruits along the line of scrimmage right now for future classes, but this Texas offensive line should actually be decent. Last year, we saw them again struggle to get a little bit of push in the running game in critical situations. We saw them struggle to protect in critical situations as again, it was the, it was the, uh, when the rubber met the road for this team, a lot of times they came up lacking, right? If they can take a step forward there, 
I think this offensive line will be very solid. At quarterback, they got themselves one. And as excited as everybody is about the future prospect of Arch Manning, they have five-star recruit Quinn Ewers, who spent a year making about $100,000 at Ohio State screwing off before coming back to the state of Texas to be the signal caller here for the Longhorns. An unproven commodity for sure, but again, a guy that everybody is very excited about and should have the starting job this fall. He will have targets in now sophomore wide receiver Xavier Worthy, a first-team All-Big 12 talent coming off of a 62-catch, 981-yard campaign with 12 touchdown strikes. That dude is an absolute deep threat, a burner, a home run hitter, and then also second-leading receiver Jordan Whittington is back. The transfer wide receiver Isaiah Nayer could be a big-time target coming in from the Wyoming Cowboys, a guy who averaged 22 yards per catch in his two seasons scored 12 times up there in Laramie. Tight end Cade Brewer is gone, but Jatavion Sanders is a big time talent ready to do some things on the offensive side of the ball. And I have mentioned all these players without mentioning perhaps the best offensive player on the entire team, which is running back Bijan Robinson, who averaged 5.8 yards per carry, 1,127 yards with 11 touchdown strikes and four receiving scores despite being banged up over the last half of the year and out for the final two games. Those were still the numbers he was able to put up. Very impressive. If you actually watch this guy play, this dude is a grown man trying to take him down. He's very elusive and very powerful at the point of attack. A really, really talented back. Defensively, absolute nightmare. Defensive coordinator Pete Quite tried to put something together on the defensive side of the ball. However, it was pretty garbage, finishing 100th overall in the country, allowing 31.5 points per game. An average defense gives up about 27.5, so they're missing the mark there by about four points or so. The run defense was absolute hammered dog shit, giving up 202 yards a game. Just the tackling wasn't there. The pursuit wasn't there. Physicality was not there. It just didn't look like this Texas defense had any interest in actually stopping anybody and getting the, the key stops that they needed, despite having the talent, despite having guys like DeMarvian Overshone and Luke Brockermeyer, Keandre Coburn, who's a 336-pound all-star nose guard, Alfred Collins, Despite having these guys on the defensive side of the ball, it didn't seem to matter as the tackles weren't there, the physicality was not there, the pass rush was not there, and that wound up leaving the secondary hanging out to dry more often than wanted to. But like I said, by the same side of this token, everybody that I just mentioned, all those names along with guys like B.J. Foster and Deshaun Jameson and incoming cornerback transfer in Ryan Watts from Ohio State. All of these guys are highly rated players coming out of high school, highly rated defensive players, and certainly have the athletic talent if they can get the, the culture and the attitude down pat coming into this year to be successful on the field. It just depends on what version of the Longhorns decide to show up. Is it a version of the team that wants to look good getting off the bus? Do they want to look like Tarzan but play like Jane? Or are they actually interested in playing some football this fall? Let's talk about the schedule as we break down whether or not 
not we think this team is going over or under eight and a half wins here in 2022. Taking a look at the schedule, they start the year opening up against the University of Louisiana Monroe, September 3rd. I believe that that will be an easy win for the Texas Longhorns, a good tune-up game heading into their September 10th match against the Alabama Crimson Tide who come to Austin to face them. Alabama, as we have already discussed in our previous SEC West win totals episode, is a team that is absolutely loaded. They are absolutely a team that is a national championship contender for sure. More than likely going to be the favorite to win the national title by many, many, many publications. Uh, and, and I would say, honestly, a pretty safe bet if you were to go with that. I do not think that Texas gets this win at home. I know the place will be packed. I know the energy will be good. But Texas is going to get into the water with a team and a program that does the things at a championship level, not just dabbling with things at a, t- at a championship level, that, that has done it consistently year in and year out. And I think that this Texas squad gets an education in what a championship team actually feels like, as I expect them to take the loss there on September 10th. On September 17th, they play host to UTSA, a team that was Conference USA champions last year. UTSA coming into town is certainly going to throw their best punch, I think, at this Texas Longhorn squad. They're going to come in with a lot of juice and energy, and Texas better be ready for that to handle that coming off the heels of Alabama. Alabama has a way. If they really do take you to the woodshed, if they really do kind of take it out on you, they have a way of costing you more games than one because of the sort of the the injuries they can inflict, the confidence they can really take out of you, and how much it takes to play a team like that. So I have my eye on that September 17th matchup, although I do think Texas is too talented to lose, actually lose the game outright to UTSA. UTSA is a team that tries hard. They are a team of little tryhards, the guys that were not the highly recruited kids in the state of Texas that are going to go to the big-time programs, but they're still Texas players from a very, one of the elite football states in the country as far as producing homegrown talent. These are kids that are, you know, on that roster, and it should be a at least a fun game to watch. I will say that if Texas goes into their second half ways of finding ways to lose games as opposed to win games, if it comes down to a close one in the fourth quarter, I actually kind of like UTSA. I feel like Texas would have to put them away quickly to to kind of win that matchup because UTSA is no stranger to the tight fights, except that team with their culture finds a way to win games as opposed to lose games. However, I do think that Texas does get the win, but I would not be surprised if UTSA was to get the cover there. Then on September 24th, they take a trip at Texas Tech. We've talked about Texas Tech with how interesting their wide receiver room can be, the combination of size and speed and different formations and whatnot that they could throw at you potentially, especially with Zach Kitley calling that offense there. If this defense doesn't take a big step forward in improvement, if they're not more like a top 50 squad as opposed to that top 100, squad, I could actually see Texas losing this one on the road to Texas Tech, especially if the bad angles of pursuit, the poor communication, the lack of interest playing on the defensive side of the ball is there. I would actually, the way that these two teams are going to line up and likely 
try to trade shots as well with what both offenses are going to want to do. I think you take the over in this game. That would be my strongest play on that one. A road environment, especially if Texas has not shown signs of improvement sort of on that defensive side of the ball. A potential for an upset here at Texas Tech. So I'm actually more towards toss-up territory for that one. On October the 1st, Texas returns home to Austin and plays host to West Virginia. We have already discussed we're not very high on West Virginia this year. I think the Mountaineers could absolutely be a four or five win team. So I will take the Longhorns to get that win because of the lack of skill talent we've already discussed with West Virginia. I just don't see them being able to put up points to keep Texas at bay. And I think that Texas will find a way to get right in this one at home. If they were to lose, let's say, be 2-2 two and two entering that contest first four weeks of the season. On October 8th in Dallas, they have the Red River shootout against Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma is the better team. I think Oklahoma gets the win most of the, more often than not. Even though Texas does bring a level of talent to this roster, this is a, just a team that is going to have to show me before I am ready to buy off on these guys. So I think that's just all it comes down to with me, really, is the healthy amount of skepticism that I look at this Texas Longhorns team with as far as actually taking the step up and ascending to the next level. It's not that they're wanting for talent. It's I think they're wanting for culture. They're wanting for attitude. They're wanting for some nuts on that roster, to be honest with you. Uh, nuts and guts. That's like that's what they're missing. And if they can take a step forward and get some of these pretty boys playing the way they need to play, yeah, they could be a dominant team. But until they show me, I'm not sold. Iowa State, they host on October the 15th, coming right off of that Oklahoma contest. I think they could be vulnerable in that one. I have that as a little bit of a toss-up there, a, a solid toss-up at Oklahoma State. I don't know if they win that one in Stillwater. I could see that one being really challenging for them as well. So I think we have the potential from October 8th through October 22nd to see at least two solid toss-ups in there. Uh, if not, the potential to go two and one during this stretch, I think is about as good as it gets. I could see one and two, and hopefully for Steve Sarkeesian and the Longhorn it's not an 0-3 slide here. But the good news is, is they do get a reprieve on October 29th, taking an open date. Coming down the second half of the year here, this is where it could get interesting because depending on what that middle stretch looked like for them there, the last four weeks of the season, who knows? Like if the culture's not right at Texas here, especially with some of these injects that they've gotten through the transfer portal, some of these mercenaries like Jaleel Billingsley and Ajay Hall, guys that were already sort of emotional, disciplinary sort of problems that they've taken in from Alabama, guys that you know, didn't really have that sort of championship culture. That's why they didn't stick at a place like Alabama. Coming in there with a, a quarterback that has been known to be a little bit of a social loose cannon in, in Quinn Ewers. I just, I don't know. I could see this turning into a nightmare disaster here for them coming down the stretch in the month of November in the championship rounds. They got to go at Kansas State, a team that's going to play to a standard, not an opponent. But I do think that they are too talented. And if they show up and play halfway decent football, they could get a win at Kansas State with probably their B game. Uh, so, you know, even if they do kind of mess around a little bit, I could see them just 
from a talent perspective, being able to get the win at Kansas State. So I think they win there. On November 12th, they host TCU. I believe that will be a win at Kansas. I know Kansas has two wins against Texas in the last five years. I don't think Texas wants to hear that again, no matter what the record is up to this point. So I do think Texas takes out all their frustration on poor Kansas on this one on November the 19th. So I got them winning there. And then to close out the year, Baylor on November the 26th, I think that'll be a really tough competition as Dave Aranda is a big culture guy himself, somebody that wants to build that Baylor program, turn down other jobs to stay there at Baylor. And I think they're going to play a brand of ball that could be mightily frustrating for Texas. So I've got another toss up on their schedule. So just taking a look across the schedule here, I've got one, two, three, four toss-ups that I'm eyeballing right here, right now. I have some pretty confident losses on their schedule. Oklahoma, Alabama, and Oklahoma State, I think could be potential losses where I would not favor Texas in that. So taking a look at the eight and a half, even if the best case scenario hits in my mind where they don't lose any of the games besides the Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and Alabama games, you're sitting there at nine and three. That's the best case scenario. That's not factoring in quit factor, if culture factor is not correct, if they run into injury bad luck, you know. So just taking a look right there, I personally am going to take the under on Texas at eight and a half. I think eight and four is more likely that for this Texas Longhorn squad. And I think it has to do their eight and four. I feel comfortable with them winning eight games purely off the fact that they have such a collection of talent. If you go back to 2021 here, they were they won five games and they look like ass doing a lot of that on the back end of the schedule. It is a hard stretch for me to see them adding four or five wins to that without showing me the sort of commensurate culture, the sort of the commensurate fight and effort on the roster. I feel better about a team that doesn't have talent but gives a lot of effort, adding a little more talent to the roster and having a better year over a team that has talent, but doesn't have mindset. They don't have attitude down. And personally, I don't know if Steve Sarkeesian's the guy who's going to get the most out of that. I'm going to be honest with you. I think he's a really good X's and O's coach. I think he might be a little bit of a player's coach. I think he might be a little too much of a player's coach for a job in Austin there with that Texas roster that has been recruited with a lot of talent, but honestly not developed with a lot of character. Austin is a town that has a lot of distractions. We have heard Longhorns players in press conferences calling out other players for spending too much time screwing around in Austin and not paying attention to the offseason preparation already. Steve Sarkeesian also addressed that in his press conference. So I just, I think that the, the non-tangible factors here for Texas have me worried about them going over eight and a half on the schedule. Baylor Bears out of Waco. This was a team that is coming off of a Big 12 championship last year. Certainly punched above their weight class, I think in a lot of metrics. A team that played very physical in the trenches, good defense, very good defense, very well coached defense. If you turn on the tape and you take a look at Baylor from 2021, the way that they tackle, the way that they attack the ball, the way that they communicate and understand where their help is at on the defensive side of the ball was just really impressive to watch. I think it was a mark of Dave Aranda, a personal touch of him being on the field. 
And then he got a little more aggressive this year in 2021 as opposed to what we saw in 2020, where I think he played a little conservatively, certainly punting in plus territory in fourth and short sort of situations where the game has changed a little bit. The analytics have told coaches nowadays that those are more aggressive scenarios to go for it. So we saw him make that fundamental switch in this year as he was more aggressive in plus territory. Baylor, a team that didn't put up a ton of yards. Baylor, a team that didn't put up a ton of points but they did play aggressively when their opportunities showed themselves. They played very good defense. They did a good job of taking away the ball, and they did a good job of scoring on short fields. Coming into this year, Baylor returns one of the best offensive and defensive lines, I think probably across the board, the best offensive and defensive lines in the conference. Offensively, they have a standout in offensive tackle, Connor Gavin, a six foot seven, 310 pound veteran that has the right frame and great athleticism for the Baylor Bears style of play. The left tackle earned first team all Big 12 honors as an elite pass protector this past year. They also have center Jacob Gall, six foot two, 305 pounds. The former Buffalo Bull came in and started all 14 games at center, earning honorable mention all Big 12 honors. This past season, they team up with a quarterback in Blake Shapin coming into this year. Uh, 62 of 86, 72% accurate, very accurate in his small sample size last year. 596 yards, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. Good job taking care of the ball. And then running back Craig Williams as a sophomore comes in. 5'8", 173 pounds, not the biggest guy, but very shifty. Had 32 carries for 247 yards, three touchdowns in seven games where he saw action this past season. On the defensive line, they have an absolute monster in Sayaki Ika, the former LSU Tiger, six foot four, 350 pounds, plays that nose guard spot with a lot of quickness and athleticism. He had three and a half sacks and six tackles for loss last year. Now, and they also have at the linebacker position, Dylan Doyle, six foot three, 242 pounds, the former Iowa transfer who made 145 tackles with three broken up passes and two sacks in two seasons. He is an honorable mention, all Big 12 from last year. And then in the secondary, filling in for Jalen Petrie, they have Christian Morgan, a senior safety, six foot one, 214 pounds, good size with 114 career tackles, very active back there. He also has a sack, four interceptions, and eight passes defended over four seasons. And then a very interesting weapon. You can't uh, you can't discount special teams. You gotta take a look at punter Isaac Powers, a guy who had 44 punts for over 2,000 yards, averaged over 46 yards per kick, and was able to down 16 of them inside the 20. And he was instrumental with what Baylor is able to do in the field position game, which plays right into the game plan of Dave Aranda and this defensively minded team built on field position, taking care of the ball and physically dominating from the inside out. And I certainly think that Baylor has the pieces to be able to impose their will on teams in this conference. However, they do lose quite a bit in terms of skill talent coming into this year, which is very concerning, particularly at the wide 
receiver position. The secondary has some key losses. And then we also, even though we previewed a running back coming in this year that has some talent, losing a guy like Abram Smith, who accounted for over 1,600 yards and 12 touchdowns last year, that's going to be really tough to replace. So taking a look at the schedule coming into this year for Baylor, Caesars has these guys set at seven and a half. I think that has actually migrated down from eight and a half, which it was just a few short weeks ago, as I believe that Vegas is starting to kind of see the trends that we already sort of suspected here on our show. So let's talk about it real quick. On September the 3rd, they start their year against Albany. That is an easy win. On September the 10th, they take a trip at BYU in Provo. In no way, shape, or form do I think Baylor should be favored in that game. I I think that's more toss-up territory with a BYU team, as we've already discussed, that's going to be pretty formidable. This BYU team also plays Arkansas. They play Oregon as well. They have a very aggressive schedule this year, but they do play Baylor early, I think before the season has a chance to maybe take a toll on BYU. So all of their depth should be there. All their might should be there for that game. So I think that's going to be very, very tough them to play. On September 17th, they get an easy win hosting Texas State, in my opinion. September the 24th at Iowa State, I have as solid toss-up territory. Oklahoma State, October the 1st, I've already kind of raised the sentiment. I think this Baylor team just sort of has Oklahoma State's number. As far as what, in in particular, what Dave Aranda is able to fashion for Spencer Sanders, I think he is solidly sort of in his, in that quarterback's head, and I could see them getting that win, even though I think Oklahoma State top to bottom is the better team. It is the higher power rated team as well. I could see Baylor taking a dump in their cornflakes and giving them a loss. October the 8th, they take a bye. So that that rounds out the first five competitions there. There is a chance that Baylor is 5-0 coming into that open date. However, I think two and I think three and two is actually more likely there, as I do think that I would give the slight lean to BYU at home, and I would give the slight lean to Iowa State at home. And you know, even if they do win that game on the road against Iowa State, if that takes a little bit of a physical toll going up against another very physical team in Oklahoma State, maybe Spencer Sanders plays a better game. They take that kind of factor out of the equation, and Oklahoma State gets the win. I mean, they're cur- they're they're very capable of doing it. So. So in their first five weeks there, I've got three very, I have three solid toss-ups, right? Then on October the 13th at West Virginia, I believe Baylor goes on the road and does get that win at West Virginia. However, that is a tough road trip, but they will be coming off of a bye. October the 22nd, they will get Lance Leopold's Jayhawks, the tryhards of the Big 12. However, I don't believe that Kansas is built to beat Baylor right now. At Texas Tech could be really tough contest for this Baylor Bears team, a team, as we have said, that relies a lot on dominating the trenches. With Texas Tech, and again, I can't stress it enough, Zach Kitley and the toys he gets to play with in that wide receiver core with a quarterback like Tyler Shuck or whoever's going to be playing quarterback there for the Red Raiders coming in with no, not wanting for targets down the field, let's say. I think that that has a potential to get really tough for the Baylor Bears. Texas Tech could be a tough one um, on the road. I I have that as a potential toss-up at Oklahoma on November the 5th. I believe that they will lose that game as Oklahoma, again, I believe to be the best team in the Big 12. On November the 12th, Kansas State could be really challenging for this Baylor squad, especially coming off of the interesting contest with Texas Tech and Oklahoma, having to get back to playing a 
more physical brand of ball against a team like Kansas State with the quarterback run, with a playmaker like Deuce Vaughn having to contend with his playmaking ability. I think th- I could see that being tough for them. And then on November the 19th, TCU, for the same reasons that Texas Tech is challenging, I think TCU is also challenging in that in that fashion. And I think TCU has the better offensive line as well. Lean on a little bit of a little more balanced attack with the same sort of dynamic wide receiver play that you could see from Texas Tech. So I think that's a tough one too. And then on November the 26th at Texas is a toss-up. I just think that Baylor is that team coming into this year. Although they have really good trench play on both sides of the ball, breaking in a brand new quarterback losing some of the playmakers that they have in the receiving game, the backfield and the secondary could potentially put this team in a position where it is feast or famine week to week. I think that they solidly are in toss-up territory with just about everybody in the conference as I think they're just a very middle-of-the-road team this year. I think that they returned to earth a little bit. I think they were slept on in a lot of ways last year and had a very good group nucleus of senior guys that really took to Dave Aranda's style bought in with the culture there, and they did a really good job stringing together wins. I just don't know if those results are repeatable from one year to the next with what they've lost. You have to remember that Baylor found a way to win the Big 12 with barely breaking 350 yards of offense every single game. I just don't think that that's sustainable over the long term, and I don't see anything that suggests that they're going to take a big offensive step forward this year. I think they'll still be solid defense, but I think we're getting into territory where you're going to have to progress a little bit to keep up with some of these teams here in the Big 12 this season, namely the Oklahoma States, the Oklahoma, what Texas can bring to the table. I think an improved Kansas State and an Iowa State team that I don't think is really going to take that far of a fall as some people are may, may be expecting for them. So at seven and a half, I'm actually going to lean towards the under on Baylor. I think that seven and five is solidly in their wheelhouse and just, I think, the most likely projection for them as as opposed to an eight and four or a nine and three type season. The non-con adding at BYU is really challenging in my opinion. Too much toss-up territory for me. Not to mention having to go on the road to play a team like Iowa State, have to go on the road to play a team like Oklahoma. They have to take the long trip to West Virginia, although West Virginia I don't believe to be very good. That is still a long taxing trip that you have to take, and then some interesting matchups with teams like Texas Tech and TCU coming into this year, a TCU squad that I think we could see be improved from last year. So I've got them at 7-5 and for the season. The TCU Horned Frogs under first-year coach Sonny Dykes comes over from SMU to coach this team, and uh, they disappointed last year for sure. In fact, they disappointed the last couple of years under the end of the Gary Patterson regime there in Fort Worth, a team that, in my opinion, kind of laid down a little bit uh, towards the end of last year. I think we saw some give up and some quit that turned the season pretty ugly, in my opinion. They have some key transfers lost, like running back Zach Evans, who's off to Ole Miss, but they do return some very interesting pieces to this team, namely in the wide receiver core. The offensive line is going to be a little bit better than I think a lot of people may project. They do have a very interesting weapon at the tight end position, and then defensively, some pieces that I don't think that they got the most out of last year, sort of like we talked about with Texas. Guys that were not untalented, guys that were not necessarily low-rated as recruits coming out of high school, but just guys that did not gel under this Gary Patterson system and did not put forth their best effort last year. 
Caesars has this team projected at 6.5 wins on the year. They are power rated solidly middle of the pack here in the Big 12 in between Iowa State and just above Kansas State. So what to make of the TCU Horned Frogs here in 2022 and this schedule? So the first thing I mentioned was the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, we have a signal caller in what should be returning starter Max Duggan. However, they do have a very talented back backup in quarterback Chandler Morris. Actually, Max Duggan and Chandler Morris were actually splitting reps this spring, so who knows where that QB battle could go, but he definitely has targets to throw to for sure. He, of course, being whoever wins the contest. They have a really good big physical outside wide receiver in Quentin Johnston. The junior is six foot four, 212 pounds. He's a deep threat and has turned into one of the Big 12's most dangerous playmakers. Even if the stats weren't totally insane, He's averaged over 20 yards per catch over his last two seasons with 22. And last year, he was named a 2021 first-team All-Big 12 player with 33 catches for 634 yards and six touchdowns. Max Duggan himself, a very solid, I guess you could say, not like anything that really jumps off of the charts to you, but it should be a solid returning starter this year. And as we mentioned with Chandler Morris as the backup, you have to feel pretty confident about TCU's quarterback position. Max Duggan Duggan is a guy who has passed for 5,900 yards, 41 touchdowns against 20 interceptions, and has 351 carries for 1,433 yards and 19 touchdowns over his three starting seasons with the Horned Frogs. Center Steve Avila is a huge returning starter for TCU. The signal caller of that offensive line, six foot four and 334 pounds. He's going into his third year. He saw time at guard before taking over the center job, and it was a 2020 all honorable mention All-Big 12 selection, and in 2021, a second-team All-Big 12 selection. They also have another piece in the wide receiver core in Darius Davis, a very interesting, quick, shifty guy, uh, all-purpose guy, also does a lot in the punt and kick return game. And then they have a change of pace wide receiver in Gunnar Henderson as well, a guy who can be very dangerous in the slot. Flipping it over to the defensive side of the ball, this secondary for TCU should be pretty good with guys like Josh Newton, Mark Perry at, at safety, Nook Bradford at the other safety. Every one of these guys has been very dynamic in the pass breakup game as well as generating turnovers for this TCU team. Solid tacklers across the board. They also have a linebacker in D. Winters, a guy who's been very active, 167 tackles, five sacks, 19 tackles for loss, two interceptions with seven passes defended, and a fumble recovery over the last three seasons. I think he makes a step forward this year to become one of the better linebackers in all of the Big 12. And then you have a transfer edge rusher in Dylan Horton, a guy from New Mexico who stands six foot four, 270 pounds with 36 tackles, two and a half sacks, four tackles for loss, and a pass deflection in two seasons at New Mexico. Had 59 tackles with five sacks, 10 tackles for loss, and a forced fumble in the last two seasons at TCU. So they have pieces. This team has pieces, absolutely, on both sides of the ball. Excited about what the secondary brings together with a guy who can speed up quarterbacks, shot clocks with a solid edge rusher like that. Good quarterback continuity and depth, and definitely some pieces on the wide receiver core that 
could make it a rough day for opposing defenses. Let's take a look at the Horn Frogs schedule this year as it is difficult. Maybe not in terms of like non-con or something like that, but the way that it is set up with a stretch of the season that sees them on the road three out of four weeks, it could get a little bit dicey for this team that I think is absolutely going to be better than what we saw last year out of TCU, but may not necessarily translate to a high win total. I think it'll be better than last year, obviously, as I do think that the, that the floor for this team is at least a bowl eligible team. But let's take a look at the schedule. On September the 2nd, they are at Colorado. Colorado, one of the more embattled teams in the country out of the Pac-12. Not a whole lot to get excited about there. I think for that team, a team that has been absolutely hammered by the transfer portal and just hasn't been doing very well the last several years. However, they did give Texas A&M last year in the opener quite a bit of problems. Again, hosting them in Denver at neutral site, but still, you know, a tough atmosphere to go in there and play them. Texas A&M very nearly wound up taking the L to Colorado. Uh, it could be a tricky one. However, I think if TCU goes in and plays the kind of game that I know that they're capable of, given the athletes that they have. I do like them as a slight favorite on the road at Colorado to take that win. On September 10th, they play Tarleton State. I believe that will be a pretty solid win as Tarleton State is an FCS opponent. On September the 17th, they have a bye week before taking a road trip at South Alabama on September the 24th. I don't know why you would schedule a road game as a non-con, especially when you're playing a G5 team. I digress either way. They are on the road there, but I do believe that they will get the win at South Alabama. Although there are some publications that seem to think that South Alabama is going to be a little bit of a formidable G5 squad this year. I think they're going to have to show me, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Coming through the month of September, I could easily see TCU sitting at 3-0 before their October the 1st matchup against Oklahoma. I believe that they will lose that game in Norman. I think that's going to be a little too much for them to overcome. However, I think it could be an exciting and entertaining game between these two squads as TCU's wide receiver core going up against Oklahoma's smaller defensive backs could make for some fireworks in this one. October the 8th at Kansas, I believe that they will get the win at Kansas. So if they can put that together, that'll be a win on the road in Lawrence. October the 15th against Oklahoma State. I see Oklahoma State getting the win in that one. Then they have a game on October the 22nd against Kansas State. They play that one at home. I think I might take TCU in that one, even though it's a little more toss-up territory for me, but I think they will take it. On October the 29th, they take a road trip at West Virginia. This starts a stretch where they play four games, with three of which are on the road. They're at West Virginia. They play a home game November 5th against Texas Tech. They're at Texas, then at Baylor. I think this is where it could get kind of brutal for them, although I feel like they have a win in the tank against West Virginia on the road, and I think they have a win also on on November 5th, hosting Texas Tech, the back-to-back -back road games against Texas and at Baylor could get really tough for them. I think those will be very physical games and may take a toll on TCU before the end of the year, before taking on a very physical team in Iowa State on November 26th to finish the year at home, which I would have in solid toss-up territory at that point. So going back down the schedule, I see one, two, three, four, probably five wins. I feel pretty confident 
confident about. And then the rest of the schedule really is toss-up territory for me. However, I do like them to snag at least one more win out of all these toss-ups. That October 29th to October 19th stretch is just so tough, though. The at West Virginia, the long trip. Uh, uh, again, the game against Texas Tech and then at Texas at Baylor uh, before hitting Iowa State at the end of the year, I think. Down the stretch, basically from the end of October through the end of November, I could see them easily losing four contests during that stretch. So for me, with Caesars having this team sitting solidly at 6.5, even though I think this TCU team is going to be a much better product than what we saw last season, obviously, I still think 6-6 six and six is the most likely outcome for this Horn Frogs team. Does have a potential if the injury bug bites to turn into a 5 win, maybe like a 5-7 and seven year, but I think 6-6, six and six, I think the latent talent level on the squad and the fact that they do have a returning starter competent backup at the quarterback position and some weapons in some really interesting spots does make this a a more dangerous team than people might think. So six and six for me is the most likely outcome for the TCU Horned Frogs. Close the episode talking about the Texas Tech Red Raiders out of Lubbock with a new first year head coach in Joey McGuire. Caesars has them set at five and a half wins. Football Power Index likes this team at 5.5 wins as well as they are power rated 49th in the country at 8th in the Big 12 Conference. The Red Raiders have a really interesting roster in terms of being able to enact potentially the first year game plan. Again, we've talked about Western Kentucky's offensive coordinator coming over and Zach Kitley, what they're going to be able to do with that wide receiver room. They have some really big physical targets at the tight end position that I think could be some really good playmakers for this team. Defensively, a lot of question marks for the Red Raiders coming into this season. As last year, the Red Raiders were 104th overall in total defense. So again, a team that was decent at scoring some points, but defensively just wasn't holding up. So what is going to be integral to their success this season is continuing to be able to put up points and taking any kind of step forward defensively, I think would be a step in the right direction. But let's talk about this 2022 Texas Tech football schedule. On September the 3rd, they start off with Murray State, which I'm prophesying as a win. September the 10th, they take on American Conference standout Houston. I have that one in solid toss-up territory, if not leaning Houston. I think Houston is the better team on both sides of the ball, as we alluded to a moment ago. Even though Lubbock will be a tough place for Houston to go in and get a resounding win, I do like this uh, Houston team this year in the American. They're solidly power rated in the same company. uh, Houston be right at home in the Big 12. I think that's why they're obviously transitioning over there soon. So I think that I am leaning towards Houston for the win for this one. I'm not going to say that and hammer it with outright confidence, but I'm leaning towards it. On September 17th, they take a road trip to Raleigh to take on an NC State team that I think is going to be very, very good this year. So I I am looking at that one as a loss for them. On September the 24th, they play Texas. I think Texas offensively will have the pieces in place to sort of overpower this Texas Tech team, especially with the Longhorns playing at home in Austin with that sort of environment. I would say maybe take the 
over on that one as I think both of these teams will take a bite out of each other. On October the 1st, they play K-State. That one's a little more toss-up territory for me, but again, Kansas State, a very physical team that can take the air out of the ball, and if Texas Tech is not able to stand up at the point of attack, I could see that one getting sideways for them, and then they have a brutal road trip to Stillwater to take on the Oklahoma State Cowboys, which I could also see being an L. The back half of the schedule gets a lot more friendly, however, as after their October 15th bye week, they host West Virginia on October the 22nd. They host Baylor on the 29th. On November the 5th, they do take a road trip to TCU. Before finishing the year, being at home on November the 12th against Kansas, at Iowa State on November the 19th, and then hosting Oklahoma. What sticks out to me about this is the non-con. The non-con is pretty aggressive with Houston and a road trip to NC State. Not so much the Murray State one, but those two games could be very challenging. Then they follow that those two games up with Texas. You know, So, so right there from September... 10th, 17th, and 24th, I could easily see three consecutive losses there before having to go on the road back-to-back Kansas State and Oklahoma State. I think both of those games are going to be very challenging for them. And then even with the home games that they do enjoy, as Texas Tech does enjoy five home games in their Big 12 schedule this year, their home games, I don't know if those are really ones you want to waste on the opponents. Like, what I'm saying is is, uh, you have a home game, uh, Kansas and West Virginia. You know, like, Texas Texas Tech's odds of beating Kansas and West Virginia on the road, I think, are about uh, just as good as beating them at home this season. So I, I, th- I feel like that's sort of a wasted uh, home atmosphere environment on those two teams. They do get Baylor at home. I believe that could be a help, especially as we alluded to, if they're able to jump out on top of Baylor and get them in a position where Baylor's playing from behind early. I could see them stealing a win there. At TCU, I think TCU does what Texas Tech uh, could do well this year in terms of stretching the field and putting up points. And I actually like TCU's physicality and trench play and defensive side of the ball better than I like Texas Tech's. Even though TCU was technically rated worse than Texas Tech on the defensive side of the ball last year, again, I question where the motivation factor was at the end of the Gary Patterson year. So a little bit intangible there, but I think TCU could get right under the new regime here. Here. At Iowa State's going to be really challenging on November the 19th. And then Oklahoma, as we said, we could see Oklahoma take a potential stumbling block here to Texas Tech at the end of the season, maybe even overlooking them before potentially a Big 12 championship game. But that's that's going out on a limb for me. That's like a sort of like a, a deep cut sicko mode play there. Um, do I think that will happen? No. Could I see the potential for it happening if the right sort of confluence of events happens late in the year for Texas Tech? Yes. Now, like I said, the FPI likes them at five and a half. Caesars likes them at five and a half. And when I take a look at this, even though I think this Texas Tech team is a little bit better in the margins than some would suggest, the fact that they have a schedule like this with the non-cons that they have and some of these really tough road trips, I just don't know if I see six wins for Texas Tech this year. I'm leaning on the under at this one at five and seven being more likely than six and six or seven and five. I know Red Raider Nation would disagree with me on this one, but I think the way that the schedule opens up with them just getting punched in the mouth almost directly against teams like Houston at NC State, Texas, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State all consecutively has a chance, I think, to kind of derail their season a little bit early. And I just don't see them making up enough wins on the back end here to get to bowl eligibility. I do think that they will be a pain in the ass kind of team for for teams in the Big 12 this year. I think they will be entertaining to watch. And I would 
definitely lean towards taking overs in their games as I don't know if their defense will be capable of getting a lot of stops, but I do think their offense will put up a lot of points. So five and seven for Texas Tech to close out the Big 12 win predictions here at any given you. We're done with part one. We're done with part two. And the next conference we will move on to will be the ACC Coastal and then Atlantic after that as we continue to steam ahead towards the 2022 season. And we are very excited for that. And if you have enjoyed our content and analysis here today on the podcast, please do us a favor and get over to either Apple Pods or Spotify. Leave us a five-star rating and review. And do not forget to tell your friends about the podcast as we are here to grow the U crew. And we are just so excited to have you along for the ride. And I just want to take a second to say thank you very much for listening to this episode today. And remember, any given time, any given place, any given team, you get it here at any given you.